Good morning. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, thank you for your amazing love, your unfailing love. Thank you for grace. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you that we're here uh, this third service today. So we offer you our hearts. We offer you our minds. Father, may your word be our life. And we recognize that humans do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So feed us, Lord, from heaven, bread from heaven that might fill us with wisdom from you. So we bless you, we commit our time to you in Christ's name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. If you have a Bible, if you need a Bible, go with me to John chapter 19, and um, uh, you know, we'll start from there. But let me begin with a, um, um, with a little story. From uh, February 15, 2015, a video was published uh, by ISIS showing the beheading of uh, 21 Christians, <clears throat> and it shows them being brought to a beach. Uh, and one of the subheadings along the way in a video said, people of the cross, followers of the hostile Egyptian church. Uh, they wanted to send a message uh, to Christians. And so after the beheadings, the, the Egyptian church released the names of 20 of the 21 men. Uh, and it turns out the 21st man... Uh, who was killed, was originally actually a non-Christian from Chad. Uh, he saw the immense faith of the other 20. Of his, they were friends. They worked together. And uh, so when the terrorist asked him if he rejected Jesus, he said, their God is my God. And knowing that he would be killed. Now, the head of the Egyptian Bible Society, uh, here's what he said about this incident. He said, these young men were simple workers trying to make a living in Libya. They weren't highly educated. In fact, some of them were illiterate. But when they, when they were assassinated so brutally, it was their stability, uh, their praying. They're not screaming or yelling, but peaceful and praying as they died, saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And Isis said, uh, we gave them a chance to repent, but they didn't. And so he closed, the Egyptian leader of the Bible Society said this, what seemed like a tragedy for these young men turned out to be one of the greatest acts of witness in the 21st century. Now, there was a, a letting go of these men did, obviously, uh, in their context. And, and it's really important that we, as a church in this part of the world, uh, remember and are praying for the church in that part of the world. I'm talking about North Africa, the Arab countries, Egypt, North Iraq, you know, Syria. Uh, that's the cradle of Christianity, that part of the world. Uh, so for them to identify as a people of the cross, I mean, this is what it meant for them. The question is, what does it mean for us uh, to identify as a people of the cross uh, in the United States? Uh, in the Western world, we're, we're comfortable, we're, we're safe, uh, you know, well, one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Uh, some of you actually came here from other countries f for the American dream. Uh, and so our, our title this morning is The Cross, the, the Deepest Wisdom of God. And that wisdom is so deep and so bottomless that it has, you know, multitude of applications and, and it's, it's bottomless. But today I want to talk about one aspect of it because it's very easy to miss the deep wisdom of God found in the cross. Uh, Pilate missed it, the crowds missed it, the religious leaders missed it, the soldiers missed it. 
um, we don't want to miss it. So let's read the text here uh, from John 19. And uh, again, it's, a, it's, it's nine verses, but I want to invite you as we read this to try to feel it. You know, you got to, you know, scripture is not meant to be read like a novel. You know, it's, it's just, this is meant to be meditated on and pondered and, and to, we're, we're to enter the text and actually like be there and feel it, uh, not just enter it cognitively. So I, I know some of you are familiar with the text, but I, I want to invite you to imagine the scene, the intensity. This is the last day in the life of Jesus. Uh, and here's, it begins with this. In verse, actually, end of verse 14. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, and there they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Verse 24, let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Amen. All right, so the passage begins with, you know, it's just, you know here is your king, Pilate says. Now understand, this is, Jesus is the eternal God who, is, who has become very human flesh. God, the word made flesh, God's here. And I, I, the scene where they say, he says, here's your king, and, and, but they shout, Take him away, you know, take him away, crucify him. I mean, that, that, allow that to just move you a bit, but that's what the human race did to God's entry into the world. You know, take him away, you know, crucify him. And they shout, and then Pilate hands him over to be crucified. And, and, uh, and it shows Jesus carrying his cross. It's very interesting. They, he carries his cross outside the city, the place of the skull, Golgotha it's called. It's the place of ultimate death, the place of hell. And that place of death becomes the place of life for the whole world. It's very interesting, you know. And then it says in three words, there they crucified him. Just three words, crucified him. You know, no, uh, you know, the most depicted scene in world art is Jesus' crucifixion. But yet it's said in three words. Like, this is not the Mel Gibson film, The Passion of the Christ, you know. There's no screaming. There's no gory details or... There's no emotion, you know, craziness going on here. It's just, they crucified him. And then Pilate writes over, you know, this is the king of the Jews. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. He writes it in three languages. It's very interesting. Global, missionary, you know, the tongues of the nations. You know, God's here. And, and so, you know, Jesus in, on the cross, he, he lets go. Do you understand? Jesus had all power in heaven on earth. I mean, he could say a word and crucify all of them. End this moment in a moment, but he doesn't. 
He, he lets go of control and trusts the Father in this moment. I mean, talk about ultimate letting go. And, uh, and so, the, and so uh, you know, here's Jesus, you know, hanging on the cross. Uh, he shows us what it means to let go on that cross. Now, Jesus as God incarnate. Here is a complete human being, and, and he comes because God has so loved the world. God, I say, God loves New York. He loves New York State. He loves New Jersey. He loves the U.S. He loves the world, every human being on the face of the earth. And he so loved the world that he gave his only son. God came that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life. But, he, but this, this love, Jesus wills his own crucifixion. You know what I'm he, he, they're not, Jesus is very much the Lord but he lets go of control and allows himself to be crucified. And, and, and he makes the final sacrifice as the lamb for our sins. And he wipes out sin. His blood is shed. He's the ultimate sacrifice. He becomes a curse for the sake of us and in, and in place of us. He takes the judgment you and I deserve for our sins. He bears it all on that cross. He, what I say, he drinks the cup for the judgment of all the sins of humanity, though he didn't deserve it. He drinks it to the dregs on that cross. And, and he, he takes that judgment we deserve. And so as a result, forgiveness is offered to the whole world. He, he reconciles the world to himself. He defeats the devil. He reveals something of who God is like nothing else on earth on that cross. And so now because of the cross, you know what? We rely on Jesus' record for our relationship with God. We come to Jesus now, all of us. We're in this room not on the basis of your performance. Did you pray enough? Are you good enough? We come to God right now in the name of Jesus through the righteousness of Christ, through his perfect life and his perfect death. In fact, God treats you as if you've done everything Jesus has done. It's as if you lived a perfect life. Because why? You're in Christ when you receive Christ. And God loves you the way he loves Jesus. And he loves you unconditionally as you are, not as you should be. Because you will never be as you should be as long as you're on earth. But he loves you right where you are. So where are you today spiritually? doesn't matter. He loves you. Utterly, totally, and completely. And then finally, he loves you the same yesterday, today, next week, and 100,000 years from now. It's just, it's just steady. That's the cross. It's just, it's regardless of your performance, he loves you. And so the worst thing that humanity ever did becomes the best event in human history. The worst moment becomes our best, the salvation of the whole world. And so um, what, what's interesting is, that the soldiers missed it. There's four soldiers there, and they're right under the cross. And they start gambling for his undergarment here. And, and it says, they, 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 you know, let's decide by lot. Now, I don't go to Atlantic City, and I'm not really a big gambler. So, but they're rolling the dice. Isn't it interesting? They, and yet, the, the inscription is written about Jesus. This is Jesus, King of the Jews, right above that cross. But while they, they are, when they're casually throwing dice about who gets the the garment, they have no idea that just a few feet away, the central event in world history is happening. Isn't that something? The central event in the history of the world is happening just a few feet away. He's right above them, and they completely miss it. It is very easy to miss the cross and miss Jesus and be distracted. And so today, the question is, what does it mean that the cross is the deepest wisdom of God? What does that mean? Of course, the soldiers missed it, so did a lot of other people. 
Now, before we talk about the wisdom of God and the cross, we got to contrast it with the wisdom of the world, which is very different. Now, you know, the world is this. Make a good first impression. And uh, according to historians, the United States and Western culture went through a big shift in the late 19th, 20th centuries, where it went from a culture, they say, of, of character to a culture of, of personality. And it went like this. Basically, uh, what counted previously in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s was, you know, who were you in private? Your character, your integrity. That was the highest priority. Uh, but there was a shift in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, that has only grown to this day, and it's a shift to your image, the impression. It's your personality. In other words, be attractive, be magnetic, be masterful, be creative, you know, be forceful, be somebody who stands out, make a name for yourself, you know, be attractive, be famous, you know. It's a celebrity culture, movie stars, all that, you know, like the Kardashians, you know, famous for being famous, you know, and, and, and uh, but, but it's about image and how I present myself and, and, and that's where we live. It's basically be in control. You be in control. In fact, get as rich as you can. And so we got all these magazines now, you know, who are the most powerful people on earth? You know, who are the most popular people on earth? Who are the most uh, glamorous people on earth? You know, who, who are the richest? You know, these, and I, I must admit, you know, I, when I see, oh, the 10, you know, richest people on earth, I mean, 10 most, who, who, is, who are those people, you know? And I look, you know, but that's our world. Because if I've got power, if I've got possessions, if I've got glamour, if I've got popularity, I got, I got control. I got control in life. And, and, uh, and we do whatever we can to get that. That's, that's the air we breathe, everybody. You walk out of this room, that is the entire culture. It's been going on for a long time, way before you were born, and we swim in it. That's the wisdom of the world. And Jesus and God calls us to the wisdom of the cross. It is deep wisdom. It is so countercultural. It is so radical. It's counterintuitive. Uh, it's the opposite. And so and so now you have gifts. You have a gift to bring to the world. You're, you are incredible. And, and God's put you here on earth. But the way to bring your gift to the world, your incredibleness, is through the wisdom of the cross. That's why it's so important we get this thing. Um, that we do it through the cross because it's so upside down. Now, if you read the New Testament, you'll see these sayings like, you know, 1 John 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. If, anyone, if you love the world, the love of the Father can't be in you. You know, Paul said things like in Galatians 6, may, may, I boast, may I only boast in the cross of Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, they understood that this, this cross was the wisdom of God and everything looks different as a result of it. And, uh, and so the theme I want to talk to you about, we talk about the wisdom of the cross, there's, there's so much to it, right? But I want to bring out one aspect today, just one. But it's, it's so deep and simple that it's easy to miss it. And it's one that we all struggle with. It is, it is, I, I, my opinion, it's one of the core struggles of the cross, and it's this. The cross is about letting go of control and choosing to trust God. The cross is about letting go of control and choosing to trust God. Someone said to me after, after uh, the second service today, I said, I thought you were talking right to me. And she goes, I'm so struggling with that. I said, what area of your life are you controlling? She goes, everything, you know? And I said, you, you, I said well, I, I, said, I'm, I have to work this too. I'm struggling too. She goes, she goes you too? I said, Everybody struggles. I said, this, I said, this is the core issue of the Christian life is letting go of our willful control of life and actually tr choosing to trust God. 
And she was like so happy. She was, I, I forgot to say it. Now, let me start by telling you what it, what it looks like when we don't, before I explain it. Two weeks ago, I was uh, on a retreat. My, my wife wasn't, she was away. And so I was uh, at our house, and I was having two days alone with God. And I was actually meditating on John 18, 19. This, this passage we read today. I was, just, you know, I was just like having a wonderful time with God, you know. So um, at the end of the second day, you know, it's over. I, I go outside, and we have a little shed there, and, and we have a, a little lock on the shed. There's a lock. And so I go to open this shed because I want to. I want to now. It's you know, it's like five o'clock, five thirty. I want to do some stuff around the house, you know, and get a tool. Uh, and I, but I can't open it now. Now Jerry had bought a new lock because it was a new lock that's easy to use. And you know, usually you get locks with the combination, right? Or you get a little key. But of course, we lose the key and we forget the combination, or the or, or the combo thing gets rusty and you, and you can't get it open. And you got to cut. So she says, "Pete, I got this new lock." Okay, and she texts me the combination, she, you know, so I got it. So I go to open it, but I can't open it, okay? And so I'm there about 15, 20 minutes, every way trying to, this simple combination, trying to open it, you know, and so I, I text her, I say, where are the directions? You know, she texts me back, they're in the house, in a drawer, so I go in the house, I go look all over, I can't find directions, you know, and, but I find the same three things she told me to do in this little piece of paper. I go back out another five, 10 minutes, I'm trying, I'm hitting the thing, I'm, you know, now, at this point, I call her annoyed in a nice way. <laughs> and I say, the lock you bought, I can't get it open. She goes, no, 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 it's really simple, you know, and, and uh, just do this, this, and this. And so at this point, I say, okay, I get off. I go back, and I, I look, now I'm saying, okay, I'm going to find the directions. I'm opening up the junk drawers. You have junk drawers in your house. You know, I emptied them out. I'm like, okay, it's got to be in here somewhere. There's got to be some directions. Nothing, you know. I go back out. I'm trying it then. Now I call her again. Jerry, the lock you bought. Okay, it doesn't work, you know. And she says to me, you know, Pete, I don't know what you're studying down there in the Bible, but it's not working. <laughs> that was that. And she was right. Because the choice of choosing, you know, let, letting go of control and choosing to trust Jesus is even in simple things like opening a lock. It, it gets worked out very practically. And uh, so we're not talking about, I, I accept it. You know, this stupid lock doesn't work. I accept it. No, we're talking about radical acceptance. Okay, radical letting go of life where you actually feel it in the depth of your being as things are happening to you. I think your body, your your spirit, your mind, you're actually really radically letting go. And so even if you go to someone, some, somebody, you, know, you go to someone, you got to talk about it, but you're in a different place because you've actually let it go. Does that make sense? Something, it's deep, it's radical. I'm going to call it radical letting go or, or radical acceptance. So, so, you know, we're talking about the difference of, you know, most of us go through life with a clenched fist. We're just like, we're, we're just frustrated a lot because life's not going well. And we want to have control. And so there's a clenched fist versus an open fist. An open hand like this. I'm letting go of control. And I'm choosing to trust you, God. Though control is not a biblical virtue, that you control life. Peter liked control, the apostle Peter. When he gets to the cross, he starts cutting off an ear. Okay, he's got his little sword out. 
Uh, you know, Judas, he liked control too, and he couldn't control Jesus. If you follow Jesus for a while, you know you can't control him either. And so when, the, when Jesus starts going to the cross and all this, he's like, he does not like this plan, so he likes control, he quits. He makes his own plan, okay, to get the job done. Pilate, he likes control. You know, Pilate, I mean, again, he liked Jesus. He was very favorable to Jesus. He wanted to free Jesus. Uh, but at one point they say, if you let Jesus go, you're no friend of Caesar, the crowd say. So at this point, he realizes that he could lose his job. He represents Caesar. He'll lose his career and he'll lose his reputation. That's a letting go. And Caesar's like, Caesar's like I mean, Pilate's like, mm, I don't think so. I'm not going to let go that much. Interesting, isn't it? Because all, all through history, his refusal to let go, he's now always associated with the crucifixion of Christ. But he actually was very much wanted to free Christ. He doesn't let go. That's why we, we, we talk so often here about prayer, about being silent and having that as a dimension of our lives because we know that to be a let go person, a person as a lifestyle, deepening and deepening this wisdom of God in us, it requires a contemplative dimension. It requires, I've got in my life some stillness. I've got silence where I'm letting go of all of my ideas and conceptions. So let me ask you, how many of you like to be in control? You know, how do you respond when you lose your phone? How do you respond when your computer dies and has to go in a shop for two days? Good riddance. How do you respond when the subway or the bus is late? Or the person in front of you, if you're driving, and you get in the lane, and there's someone behind you, but the person in front of you does not have their easy pass. And the guy working a toll booth is nowhere to be found. And everybody else is just going through their toll booth, and you're stuck. How do you respond? Some of you are parents, and you've heard that, the, the term helicopter parents, because you're always watching over your kids. Some of you are bulldozer plant parents, or you're drone parents. You're so controlling and so concerned about your kids. They can be 45. You're still like a drone sending a missile, <laughs> lest they suffer and make a mistake in life, you know. And, and so we want to change our bosses, our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors. A lot of us are annoyed a lot. We just, we're just like, we got a chip on our shoulder. We're frustrated because life's not working the way it is because we can't control it. And uh, this should not be, the bus is late. This should not be. And we've got this kind of a tone and uh, this doesn't work. But God says, hey, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher above the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And, and so when you don't get the job you wanted, or you get the job you want, and then you realize, I don't want the job I wanted. Or, you know, you, your health declines. What do you do, you know? And, and, and so, but with a shed, I can't get the shed open. Bang the shed, all right? Now, I did eventually get it open, but we are getting rid of that lock. I can tell you that right now. I got it open that day. but I'm... This should not be happening. The lock should open. But to let go at the cross, this is... The deep wisdom of God is to let go at the cross. This is no small task in life. Radical letting go. And all I'm saying is, this is a pain in the neck. This is difficult, but it's not a catastrophe. And I can let go because somewhere behind it all is the living God. 
and I'm going to trust him. So choosing to let go means I understand I'm part of something bigger in life, and that is God's plan. This living, active God who is good and his love endures forever, whose faithfulness endures for generation. I may not know what's going on, but I know he's good, and so, Lord, I'm going to let go of control, and I'm going to trust you. You know, Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist during World War II, and a Jewish man, he got taken to Auschwitz concentration camp. And so he was a you know, brilliant guy, and a writer, and, and so he was actually studying people uh, in Auschwitz. And uh, he talked about how only one of 28 survived. And uh, at one point, 90% would die within, you know, within the first day. But he talked about why did some people live? And he says, it was, they found spiritual freedom and they found meaning and purpose in life, even there. And he says, we who live in concentration camps can remember the men who walked around the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. Every day, every hour, we had to choose our attitude in any given, sort of, in any given set of circumstances. The prisoner who lost hope in the future was doomed. Each prisoner made a free decision with what to do with their unrepeatable life. And he talks about at one point, he and a group was transferred from Auschwitz to another camp, Dachau. And they got, when they got to this other camp, they realized there was no ovens. There was no smoke. There was no chimney. There was no crematorium. There was no gas. And they, the joyful surprise, he writes this, the joyful surprise put us all in a good mood. We were grateful for the smallest of mercies such as being stripped naked in a hut so frigid icicles hung from the ceilings. But the hut's mercy was a delousing treatment to get cleansed of our parasites. In other words, they, they, they washed them to get rid of all the lice. That's deep. So how, how do you let go in the dark night? I mean, Pete, when a, you know, cancer comes, a, you know, a death of someone you love, a, a divorce, an unfulfilled dream, or maybe you had a really bad childhood. You know, you didn't get your career you hoped for or the, or the promotion or graduate school. And, and so I, I come back to, I'm letting go. I'm not letting go to air or just secular space. I'm letting go to God, the living God who died on a cross for me, who says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you stay with me on a cross, you'll have a resurrection. If you wait on me, you will find me and meet me. And so that the greatest evil ever happened, which was the killing of God on the cross, turned out to be the greatest good salvation. And so I understand that God, I don't understand how he's doing it, but God works in, through, and in spite of evil and somehow brings something good out of the worst horrors of life. And so where a people actually sees a hope where there is apparently no hope. And so I, I like this guy, Robert McQuinlan, McQuinlan was president of, Columbia, of uh, Columbia International University in South Carolina for 20 years. He was at the height of his career, and his wife gets Alzheimer's. After nine years, her Alzheimer's progress, progresses where she, she's so agitated when he's out, not in the room and fearful that uh, he, has to, he, he, he chooses to leave his job. He resigns, and he goes home to take care of her. And he's there for a number of years. And at one point... Um, and he talked about the challenges of these years. Uh, his wife's name was Muriel. Uh, before she began wearing diapers, she had an accident in the bathroom. 
And Robertson, his first name, he was trying to clean her up. But she was pushing him away, trying to take care of herself, but she couldn't. He told her to stop. She ignores him, uh, and he can't help her. So in exasperation, he, he slaps the calf of her leg. And here's what he writes. She was startled. I was too. Never in our 44 years of marriage had I ever as much touched her in anger. But now when she needed me most, and then he just, it's a dot, 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 because you can almost feel him getting all choked up. Uh, and and he, he writes, the blows of life had left me numb. My dearest slipping away from me, my eldest son snatched away in a tragic accident. My life's work abandoned at its peak. He says, depression engulfed me. Some of you know exactly what something like that's like. And he wrote a book about it. He wrote a book called A Promise Kept about his wife, Muriel. And he talks about how he met God in it. How in that place of such utter, in a sense, pain and letting go. Talk about letting go. He found God in a whole new way. And I love this quote, suffering can actually become cause for thanksgiving when mined for gold buried under the rubble of pain and sorrow. Suffering can actually become cause for thanksgiving when mined for gold buried under the rubble of pain and sorrow. But that means that you're not taking the world's wisdom of control. You've letting go of control and you're choosing to let go and actually trust yourself. That, again, that is no small task. True spirituality, everybody, is not an escape from reality. True spirituality is an absolute commitment to reality, to be immersed in it. I hear people say, I don't, I don't want to know about those problems. I don't want, I don't want to hear it. I don't want, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want, to know. I don't want to read their papers. I can't take it. That's not Christianity. Because at a cross, we go right into reality. So we look head on at sexism, racism, oppression, war, rapes, abuse, sin, all the horror we look into it. Why? Because Jesus drank the cup of all of it. The crucified God went into hell on our behalf and he came out the other side. And so we of all people know that our God is good and he is Lord and in through it in spite of all the worst evils humanity might do to each other, somehow God is working a plan of history and I'm going to let go of control of this plan and I'm going to trust in him even though I don't know where he is. And I may say at times, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I'm going to stick with him, even though I don't know where he is going. And so we enter the full pain of life, big and small alike, and, and, uh, because we, we love and we stick with the one who actually hangs on a cross. So, so you know, I, I like to say this. You know, you, you, some of you, I know you, your fists are clenched like this. You're, just, you're tight. You're, you're tightly wound. And you know what's tr most tragic about you being in control? You're wasting your suffering. There's no gold. It's wasted. That's why my, my, my please, I want to invite you to open it up. You know, Abraham took control, and he ended up having a child with Hagar. Big mess. Moses took control. He hit the rock a couple times. Big mess. David took control, counted the fighting men. Big mess. Saul took control. Another mess. I'm saying, you take control, it's a mess. You lose your life. You let go, it's life. Jesus says, you'll find your life. But it's counterintuitive. Because it'll, it'll just get worse. She says, no, trust me in this one. Listen, the past may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility to get a really good future out of it. 
Listen, some of you had really bad pasts. Okay, it happened to you. I understand that. But you know what? Now you're an adult. And that's your responsibility. What am I going to do with this past? Am I going to let go of control and trust God with this thing to bring something good out of it? Or am I going to be a clenched fist, angry, annoyed person the rest of my life and all that suffering gets wasted? You know, Jesus, when we talk about letting go of control and choosing to trust God, you know, it's not just the events that happens around us. It manifests in the way we handle shame and vulnerability. You know, if you look at the cross, Jesus hung there naked. I mean, naked. And the mission that tells us when they would, when they would flog somebody, they didn't just flog you from behind. They, they flogged you in thighs and groin and chest. I mean, it was, I mean, Jesus was slapped around, you know, crown of thorns. I mean, this was, talk about it. That was a big honor culture. I mean, talk about it. He was shamed, but he hangs there vulnerable. He lets go and trusts God. I mean, if anybody could have jumped off that cross, it was Jesus. And what a picture for us. And I just stopped and I was pondering the shame. Shame can be worse than physical pain. And I thought about when I was shamed in junior high. I thought of a couple of young guys that, you know, say things like, your mother wears army boots, you know, those kind of guys, you know. And the shaming that goes on in school and, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's very painful. And part of the invitation to let go is that we let our guard down. Now, some of you are good New Yorkers. You weren't even born in this country, but now you're a good New Yorker. And you got your guard up. Hey, who are you talking to, man? Who are you talking to? <laughs> you know, you walk down the street and someone says, hi, how are you? <laughs> Whoa, man. What do you think we are, in the Midwest here? And we just, we, you know, we've been hurt. We've been knocked around again. And some of you had a bad past. I appreciate that. You know, I did too. But now we don't trust that. We don't trust many people. Very few people get in. Very few. And so we're not letting go. We're in control. You better prove yourself a lot before I let you in. And let me tell you something. Letting go involves people. I'm not saying we're dumb, but let people walk all over us. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about staying in an abusive situation. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a whole posture of life of vulnerability, of openness. You know, our small group this past week, we had a very interesting group, you know, talking about there's a big difference between uh, saying, sorry, you know, you hurt me. Maureen, sorry, sorry, sorry what happened. That's very different than saying, oh, Maureen, you know, I, I did this. Will you forgive me? And like I wait for an answer. Oh, my God. So vulnerable. Like, I'm not going to give her that kind of power over me. Hey, I'm sorry. You don't take it or leave it. You don't like it. It's your problem. <laughs> Not my problem. Your problem. I said it. I said it once. I've got to say it twice. You didn't hear me. Get a hearing aid. You know, get a life. You know, some of us have a hard time admitting mistakes. Oh, my God. You would think that someone's putting a knife to our head. Letting go of control is like, I'm hanging. I'm like Jesus. Jesus is vulnerable and trusting God. You know, um, so many of us have constructed a false self, you know, performing, exterior, you know. Uh, you know, the president of Wheaton College, a guy named, was Philip Rilke, you know, I'm not sure he still is. 2014, president of Wheaton College, a very upstanding Christian institution in the Midwest, and very, you know, former Presbyterian pastor, PhD, highly educated, all that stuff, brilliant guy. And opening of the school address to the faculty and students, he, here's, what he, here's what his uh, title of his address was called, Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. And he describes in his opening talk his descent into a deep depression just a few months earlier to the point where he said, I wondered if I had the will to live. 
and but how he was now slowly emerging by the grace of God. Now, for a college university president to talk so openly and vulnerably, that is like, that is like academic suicide, you know? But he was vulnerable. Um, that was the cross, because Jesus invites us to the cross, the deepest wisdom of God. Last week I was in Manhattan, and I stumbled into an AA meeting in the back of a church. There was another meeting going on. And I just sat there and just listened, you know? And I was like, man, it was raw. It was beautiful. I said, wow, a few curse words thrown in. But it was, it was beautiful. I like what one person said. He said, you know, religion, one AA person said, religion, Pete, is for people who are afraid of going to hell. Spirituality is for people who have been there. I like that. So at the cross, we come. We all come on level ground. Do you understand? Struggling to let go of control, we come in the righteousness of Jesus alone, in the record of Jesus. We come, we come holding on to nothing but him. And it doesn't matter. Nobody's inferior, superior. We're all in the same place. So I want to invite you to the cross today to let go of control and basically choose trusting God and be vulnerable. So listen, you will let go of control. Do you know that? Absolutely. You will die someday, and believe me, you're going to let go of all control. You are going to be pretty vulnerable in that day. I'm telling you that. So we will all die completely vulnerable and uh, out of control. Now listen, the world has what's called a GPS, right? I love my GPS. And they're amazing. But they're not God either, right? You know, you can't always count on it. People have, you know, there's lots of stories. You know, people got to Iceland. They, the woman flew to Iceland. She was at the capital city. She had to go to another city. She typed in the wrong, wrong one to two wrong letters. Ends up, uh, you know, 250 miles away. Because she just wouldn't, she was following GPS. You know, when Jap a Japanese tourist in Australia following GPS, GPS was wrong, drove right into the Pacific Ocean, you know. So, but you see, for us, you know, and I like GPSs, but we, I want you to hear this, everybody, and I, and I love my GPS, we follow the cross. You got that? We're, we're following the cross, and we stay at the cross. Now, this is a shout-out to all the ladies in the room, okay? Now, the disciples, who were men, disappeared pretty much at the cross, you know, except for John still hanging around somewhere in the back, in the back room. But near the cross of Jesus stood his, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Four women are hanging in there. Let's give the women a hand on that one. I mean, God, thank God for the ladies. Where would we be? And they're there. And, you know, they're, they're sticking with Jesus at the cross. They're staying with him, persevering. And, and as one scholar calls it, this is the birth of the church. It's the community at the cross, under the cross. We are called to be staying with Jesus at the cross. Yes, he's, a, he's risen from the dead, absolutely. But he grounds us under the cross. There is so much wisdom and revelation. It's so deep at the cross. I'm telling you, I understand a little bit of it. It's bottomless. We will spend eternity grasping the depth and breadth of the cross and the deep wisdom that is found there. But I'm telling you, I believe that one of the cores of the Christian life is letting go of control and trusting the living God. So here's what I want to close doing this on the exercise. Worship team, why don't you come on forward? And um, here's the cross, the deepest wisdom of God. What is God's invitation to you? What do you need to let go of today? What area of life? Is it, you know, as, you know letting God bring a great life out of your future? To actually believe and have hope that there's something great for you out of all the failure and mess of your past? Is it asking forgiveness? Is it admitting a mistake? Is it suspending judgment? on someone? Is it slowing down, embracing silence? Is it letting yourself be loved? Is it inviting critique from your coworkers? I don't know what it is. Letting go of a child? 
and you running their life like a you know, helicopter dad or mom. So here's what I want to do. I don't know if you have a pen, but I want to take a minute before God, and I want to ask you to maybe make before the Lord, in what area are you experiencing difficulty letting go today, right now at this moment in your life, that God's inviting you to let go and actually trust him with it. And I want you to have a minute of silence before the Lord and that we hold it. Okay, can we do that? Now listen, I, I like, I, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big guy of, of like, you know, I, 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 every morning I do silence for like 20 minutes. You know, I believe we all need a dimension of two to five minutes every day of silence to just, and honestly, the core of what's happening to me in silence is I'm letting go of my will. My will is strong, is yours? I'm a beast, you know what? I get crazy very quickly, whether it's a lock on a shed or traffic on the BQE. And so my work is to let go of my will and say, oh God, I surrender my, my will, my, my life, come in and I, I let go to you, Lord, I trust you. And uh, so let's just take a minute, or I'm gonna be a timekeeper. Let's just be before the Lord. I may close your eyes. I wanna invite you to open your, up your hands like this. Your hands are kind of open, like the posture is really important because it's an expression of, I'm letting go. Okay, so can we do that? Close our eyes and before the Lord. What is that one area the Lord is bringing to your mind now? And let's just be still before him and offer it to him and invite his presence and his will to fill your life. Amen. Let's all stand together, all right? Nicodemus did not become a, a Christ follower when Jesus was doing miracles. But the, after, he, after he goes on the cross and is lifted up, he becomes a Christian. He, he lets go and trust. Interesting, isn't it? It's not miracles that are going to convince people. It's the cross of Jesus. So if we can talk about, we just lifted up the cross here. You know, and it's, meant to, it's like a magnet. It's meant to pull you in and pull me in and let go. And so maybe you're here today, you know what? You're not even sure you're a Christian. You know, let the, he, Jesus, I'll be lifted up. I will draw up a, a magnet to myself. And you may be feeling that magnet today. You know, you want to come forward and come to Jesus. Let that magnet pull you. Uh, other of us, we feel the magnet. You're here. So I want you, I want you as we're going to close here, I want you to respond to the, the pulling of Jesus to the cross. It's such a strange thing, isn't it? The power of God at the cross that's found there. That letting go of control and actually trusting him when you can't see it, and all of a sudden, like, the Spirit comes and changes your life. So it's not just forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers at the cross. He offers us the Holy Spirit's power. And so uh, I want to invite you now to receive power as we close. All right, we got some prayer teams up here to your right, and I want you to come forward for prayer. You, you feel a magnet of Jesus about your letting go, and, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit's power to, to fall on you uh, 
as, as they pray for you. We've got the Lord's table to your left to come and eat and drink of Jesus. It's another way of trusting and letting go that I need your life in me, Jesus, not my own. Again, act of humility, act of dependence, you know, act of prayerfulness. So, all right, as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands up towards heaven. And... I'm sorry, before I pray, one thing. Sorry. There's, a, there's an event going on in this room after us, and so they're asking that we're going to, that we would remove the two, maybe at the end of the service, if you don't mind, the two endings set of, of um, chairs, fold them up and put them on, on against the wall and as well this group this section right here this whole big center we're gonna you can move it up the wall up if you could help us we'd really appreciate it that'd be great okay oh yeah prayer let's go lower hands up towards heaven again just our hands aren't clenched lord our hands are open as best we can do right now and the lord sees all your scars he sees all the betrayals he sees all your wounds and he invites you to take all that wounding and to bring it to the wound of Jesus on the cross from which blood and water come forth. And let the blood of Jesus wash over that. Let the Holy Spirit's life flow over that. And so may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may he flood you with a revelation of the deep wisdom of the cross. And may he grant you power to let go of control. To actually trust God who loves you and died for you. And may you, may you hear his word, do not fear. May it go deep in your bones. I will never leave you, says the Lord. I will never forsake you, says the Lord. I am with you. And may those words of his love sink deep in your soul as you leave this place and may you take your next step of letting go that life might come through you and you might be a blessing so i commit you to the grace of god this day in jesus name and everybody said thank you everybody come forward